when you first hear that story, you think, oh, I'm just being a pedant, right? And it's just a semantic argument. Yeah, but like you are you, a pedant. I am a pedant, but I wasn't, admit just, you're a pedant. Be, I wasn't just being a pedant. Do you admit you're yeah, a pedant? Yeah, of course, absolutely. I'm quite proud right. of it. Um, but Do you actually, accept that it's a, it's a failing? No, personality not. failing. No, no, you it's should, a strength. Steve. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> I love the way this is just a forum Do for you, you to insult person? me. Do you have any personality failings? <laughs> <laughs> I have many, you but can, pedantry I can, is I not I can name a couple and you could argue against them. I'm sure you could find <laughs> some bloody way of doing it. Bunsen, Dolly, Internal, Combustion. Why Do We Need, Petrich, Oscar, Bay. Isaac, Transplanting, Hello, hello Steve. How are you doing, man? How you doing? Yeah, good. It's good to be back. It's another podcast. We're back in the science shed. Hi, oh, we're here again. <laughs> again? I know. It's very exciting, isn't it? It is, it is. It's really good to be back and we've got loads of interesting things to have a chat about today. That's good, we? yeah. So um, so for anyone that hasn't listened to the to the science shed before, why don't you introduce who you are and I'll introduce who I am. Yeah, well I'm my name well I'm Nick, aren't I, Steve? <laughs> That's yeah, right. you should know that by now. So I'm a I'm a scientist. I'm a I'm a member of the academic staff of Southampton University, or I should say the University of Southampton, because the university is very... Because that's what it's called, that's yeah, why I should say. Yeah, I know, but why does it matter whether you put university at the start or at the end? It's a different, different name, isn't it? Not really. Southampton University, University of Southampton, who's going to, literally, who's going to give a shit? Uh, the marketing people at the University of Southampton do. Okay, it probably costs like 50 grand to, for them to someone to move the position of university. What a waste of time. Indeed. Anyway, <laughs> so I, my, I, I'm, a, I'm a scientist, so we've got, I've got a small group, and we do a bit of work on regenerative medicine. We're trying to restore um, organs and tissues back to their health by using a variety of different kinds of scientific techniques like nanotechnology. Sounds fun. Yeah, it's fun. What do you do, Steve? So uh, my name's Stephen Lee. I'm a physical chemist at the University of Cambridge. Uh, and uh, my lab works on the kind of border between uh, physics, biology, and uh, chemistry. And because, so we're kind of building new tools to address biological problems. So that's and what we do in my lab. Lord hinterland. Exactly, yeah. We kind the of interfacial we... region <laughs> between the scientific disciplines. That's right. It's where, all the, uh, it's where all the interesting stuff is, I think. In, yeah, it's in kind of like a lawless border country. Exactly. Between the main population. No man's land. Scientific yeah, no man's land. Exactly. It's kind of We're like... playing football all the time. Scattered sort of, I don't know, old broken down houses. Exactly. Kind um, of very post, you know, post-apocalyptic. Yeah, a few scraggly um, feral sheep. <laughs> that used to be domesticated. <laughs> exactly. That are now just wandering around. Oh, so you know John? Okay, <laughs> interesting. <sighs> What's annoying Nick? Nick. Steve. Thanks. We're going to do our first mashup. What? I'm going to combine, I've come across this paper with uh, What's Annoying Nick. Boots and cats and boots and cats and boots. That sort of thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, go on. Um, so I don't know whether this is going to annoy you, but I think it probably will annoy you. So, so I came across this paper, Nick. Oh. Um, it's called, it's in the Journal of Organic Chemistry. Oh, it's, it sounds oh. exciting already. Oh, jock. Uh, jock? Jock. The Journal of it's Organic Chemistry. It's a jock mag. It's a jock mag, exactly. But not the kind of jock, the kind of like, Scooter has come back from playing ball kind of jock. <laughs> is there any magazine that has an acronym JAZZ? Uh, there's anal chem. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh, crikey! Um, oh, there's PNAS. 
PNAS. PNAS. PNAS. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I've got a. I've got a. I come across this paper, Nick. Oh. Called, it's, in, it's, it's in the Journal of Organic Chemistry, Jock. Beautiful, beautiful journal. It's called The Synthesis of Anamorphic Molecules, colon, the Nanopucians. <laughs> what? Yeah. The Nanopucians? Yeah, that's right. That right. sounds like a kind of race in Star Trek. Well, exactly. Well, I'll, I'll show you in a second. So essentially, it's a bunch of organic chemists, a guy called James Torr, uh, who works at the <coughs> Rice University. Um, and I'll read you the abstract. Rice University? Yeah. The University of Rice it's in um, it's in Texas. It's where oh, um, right. Rick Smalley worked, who, who co-discovered C60 with um, Harry Crota. We Rick spoke about Smalley. that. Rick Smalley. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we spoke about that. Yeah. <laughs> we hang. You and you and you and Smallsy. You and Smallsy Ricey. Yeah. Um, so anyway, James Tor, uh, I'm going to read you the, the the abstract of the paper. He said, uh, "Described here are the synthetic details en route to an array of two nanometer tall anthropomorphic molecules." In monomeric, dimeric, and polymeric forms. So he's made little people out of. He's little made atoms. little people. <laughs> Isn't it good? What a dick. So these anthropomorphic I'm figures joking. are called, as a class, nanopucians. Using tools of chemical synthesis, uh, the ultimate in designed miniaturization can be attained while preparing the most widely recognized structures, those that resemble humans. Oh my god! Is so anyway, a picture I'm going to show you some pictures, and we'll put this picture up on the on the on the um, on the on the uh, on Twitter. So I want to. Sh- I'm just showing Nick now a picture. of <laughs> That is ridiculous. So what we're looking at here is that, uh, so, so for anyone that's seen chemical structures before, they kind of look, you'd probably imagine benzene or, uh, or these kind of like, you know, these stick drawings of hexagons. But what this is... stick man made out of aromatic rings and double bonds and legs and things. Right. What are all those things underneath well, those different heads? I'm about to tell you. This is the best bit. <laughs> so, so figure one, this starts off as, this is called the nano kid. Right, this one on the top, right? Is that why he's doing like he's doing like a? He looks like he's doing a kind of move from uh, Saturday Night Live. Yeah, Saturday so, Night Fever, sorry. Yeah. So what they've done is they've they've made they've chemically synthesized these compounds that kind of are made to look like stickmen. And so we've used kind of chemical structures. So for instance, an alkyne, which is a triple bond, makes you makes a linear molecule. So they've actually used those for the elbows and the knees of the of the of, of the because he's got straight elbows. Because he's got straight and straight el- knees. Straight knees. And uh, they've used benzene rings, which is a which is a hexagonal uh, molecule for its kind of torso. So what's the head? It's like a it's a it's a heterocycle. It's an oxygen containing heterocycle. It's like got five, five points with two oxygens occupying two of the points. Yeah. So so normally a five membrane ring with an oxygen is called a furan, but I'm not sure with two oxygens. If I, if anyone was a better organic chemist, I could fuel tell two am. No. Um, <laughs> But anyway, so, so, so what they've done is they've got this little head, right? Little, but what they've done is they've done some more chemical modifications. So they kept the body the same, they kept the arms the same and the feet. But they've changed the modifications on the head. And show me the head, Steve. Well, you only show me, I only got a glimpse I know. before. So I'm, gonna, I'm now going to give... I want to see I'm the head give, now. I'm going to give you all of the heads. There's multiple ones. Oh I'm my passing God. The paper over. Have I got to guess what they are? No, it says underneath them. Well, I'm, cover it up for me and then okay. I can guess what they are. Right, okay. So basically there's, there's these different heads here. Um, we've got a bit of paper. Give me, give me, give me, give me. Okay. <laughs> Okay. So, hang on a minute. So, this doesn't make very good podcasting, does it? No, it will do when they look at it. Okay. So, the first one, it's kind of, there's a line coming up. There's two O's, which look like kind of oxygens. And then the top of the head is kind of flopped round with two lines, making it look like an elf's hat. 
Yeah, it does look a so bit it like looks Mr. like an elf man. To be honest, this one is the one I don't get, but the others make more sense. The next one is a man which clearly he has a, some kind of top hat on. It's quite clear. So these are all kind of chemical structures of, uh, and then they've kind of modified them to make. It's them like a look square, like a square like a carbon square on his head. Mm. The next one I've got no bloody idea. Maybe a ponytail. It's just like the same as one as before, the initial one with the line coming out the top. And the other one is like a hexagon on the head. Oh, right. Oh, my God. Them <laughs> so I've just uncovered the names. <laughs> the dude who looks like the elf is called a nano-athlete. Why? I have no idea. Nano-pilgrim. That's the guy with the top hat. Obviously an American dude who's done these. I told it's from Rice. Nano-green beret. It's very American, isn't it? Mm. Where's nano-coldstream nano guard? You know, you see there? Yeah. God, we need, we need a British group to do this. We do. Nano green berry. So this, is, this, this paper is very famous in undergraduate or organic chemistry to show that people. So it's actually quite useful. How do you do a nano scholar? So the nano scholar is kind of like, he's got... He's got a mortarboard hat. on his head. He's got a he looks like a flattened mortarboard. I've got to know how to do that works. And then there's a wiggly line, which should be the thing. You know, with a mortarboard, you've got the little thing that dangles off it, like yeah. a piece of string. What's that wiggly line, Steve? So that's so that's still a they, they they've used a bit of artistic license here. So that wiggly line means that the the, the uh, stereochemistry of that carbon is unknown. So well, it can be you know what? Out or going My away faith in this paper has just been obliterated <laughs> by the fact that that's made up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so there we go. That's the nanoputions. And actually, well, what what's all those? What's all that stuff? So that's how you make the nanoputions. So to give you an idea, it's a, you know, can it's you a have like nano intercourse? Could you have a man and a woman? I'm about to show you that in a second. Well, well they've got that in no, the paper. No, they don't. But they do things like, so to give you an example, right, a bit like when we spoke about um, uh, Thunderstruck. You know, if you look in the, um, uh, in the uh, how to synthesize all these compounds, there's all the kind of technical detail of actually yeah, how to make these things. No. But um, they looked at making them polymeric, right? So one thing is, so, so first thing they did is they wanted to make a monolayer of them. So they put sulfur atoms on their feet. Poor guys. And sulfur... Sulfur smells bad. Well, it's also it, it uh, bonds very readily to gold. So what they did is they like this is an example of them all lined up on a on a on a gold substrate. So they're all oh, standing next they to do, each other. They look like they look kind of annoying. <laughs> I knew it would annoy you. <laughs> I knew it would. <laughs> but they do look annoying, don't they? They kind of look like cheerful people going, "Ta-da!" <laughs> Here we are. Ta-da! Like they've just done something impressive. Yeah. And then, so finally, they, they, made them, they made them polymeric. So they actually kind of c combine them all, and you can make things like this, Nick. So here you go. Here's an example of them holding hands. Isn't that cute? Oh, it's quite sweet. Yeah. And actually, you, can, you actually make dye block copolymers. So you can make uh, various different, like, nano-athlete. chain of them. But, but you can actually do it, rather than just a long chain of them, you're a nano-athlete next to a nano-kid next to a nano-pilgrim or whatever. Well, what a bloody stupid paper. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. He's done it with someone else. There's two of them on it. Yeah. James Tor and Stephanie Chanteau. Well, I'm sure that will go down as a classic in the world of organic chemistry. Thanks for that, Steve. That truly was an interesting paper that you came across. I thought I came across this paper, Nick. Steve, I am... Um I went to the uh, Royal Observatory the other week. Oh, in Greenwich. Have you been there? I have, yeah. It's the first time I went. I lived in London nine years, and I always was meaning to go, and did I never you, went. Did you nerd out on the clocks? They're so beautiful. Well, that's what there. I was going to talk, talk yeah. to you about. Right. So, okay. Let's step back for a second. Yeah. Right. Have you ever literally, like, 
cried or wept because of something you were moved, inside. emotionally moved. So moved that like, you... Um, no, not, not. I've been moved, but not to the point of tears. Yeah, that's because no, you're a cold heart. That's because I'm dead inside, yeah, that's exactly right, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I went to look at the clocks, and I, I get there's a caveat here as well. Yeah. I was I was a bit tired and <laughs> hung over. It was a Saturday. Right. This is kind of a running thing. So it is, isn't it? Like <laughs> being in that kind of constant state of kind of melancholy. <laughs> it was a really hot day and we went on the train to because I live in uh, Southampton now. That's where I work. And then um, we went up for the for the for the day. And uh, yeah, I've I've read about I've read the about the Harrison clock. So mm. just to give people a bit of background, in the I think the 1700s there weren't any, there wasn't a good way of navigating at sea you could always you always knew what your latitude was if you were on a boat so you your latitude stars, your right? latitude is how north or south yeah. you are on the earth so you were able to do that by looking at the declination of the stars yeah. or even i think the sun you can do it with the sun yeah yeah so it was it's relatively straightforward but there's there's no way of measuring your longitude it's too much of a complex problem. There's too many different variables, and it's impossible. It was impossible at that time to do it. The the the, the astrom- astronomers always contended that you'd be able to do it with stars. Yeah. But there's a disadvantage there because the stars not might not be out every night. It might be cloudy. Yeah. For many nights in a in a, in a row, um, uh, and also the, the the way that they move is in, it's incredibly complex. So you can tell that I'm sort of I, I don't quite understand why, why you yeah. couldn't do it. Anyway, some people thought that the solution was to have a better way of keeping time. Right. Because if you know your time, that is a way of kind of zoning in on where you are. But I suppose the, at the time, all the clocks there, they were, they were, the, the kind of, they were all kind of uh, what we consider grandfather clocks, right? They're all pendulum swinging clocks and they're, they're difficult to put on boats. Yeah, right. so any 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 clock you put on a boat would lose a lot of it'd be very inaccurate over a period of time. If you're sailing to like America or the West Indies or something, yeah, then it would go out of sync. So this this so dude, you would know where you are. Yeah, yeah. And so, so this guy John Harrison, who's a I think originally a carpenter, right, but also a you know an inventor, thought well. I'll try and make a. But wasn't there wasn't there a big um, prize? Yeah, I think offer. it was twenty thousand pounds or something, which right. is a vast amount of money in in those days, like millions of pounds. In order to make a clock that you could put on a boat. Any solution to the longitude problem. Right. Okay. Just so didn't it wasn't have to just be a clock. clock. Was, yeah. Okay. Anyway, this this guy came up with the idea of of clocks, and there's a it's a it's a well it's an an oft told story the problem of longitude. There's several books been written about it. I've read about it before. So I knew about this thing, and I knew about the clocks, and I knew that they were at the Royal Observatory mm-hmm. in the museum. Yeah, I've been there. There's like there's like four different generations or something, isn't there? Well, I'll tell you more about it. So I went right. in and like, yeah, well, I was gonna. I'm looking forward to this. Right. I was looking forward to it. Yeah, there's I bet. lots of big big telescopes there. There's lots of interesting science history related stuff. So you go in and yeah, he spent basically his whole life making clocks. Making clocks, and he made them iteratively. He made one. And it wasn't quite good enough. He made another one, wasn't quite good enough. Yeah. Made another one, wasn't quite good enough, right? Until he got to the fourth one, Harrison's yeah. fourth timepiece. And like, I was looking at these clocks and they're huge, amazingly intricate. intricate. They're all made of brass of and they're... Yeah, yeah, amazing, exactly. lots of cogs and all, you know. It's just like, if you're, if, if you're interested, or if, if you're anybody... Who cares you about appreciate like, you like precision, mechanical, mechanical... Absolute yeah. precision, amazing things. Like, and they're all really nicely lit. And yeah. the, you know the brass is glinting, and yeah. it's like. Anyway, so imagine me. I'm wandering around. I'm a little bit hungover. I've had an ice cream half an hour earlier. <laughs> so 
So, I've watched so you, you have, you're in the sugar going. dip already. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's mean, <laughs> in peak, and then you're in the sugar dip. So I've been wondering. It's a perfect storm, Nick. It's a perfect storm. So I'm looking at these, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, oh, this guy, man, he spent his whole life working on this. Oh, yeah, just whole life. So I'm getting into his, and I'm thinking, and then you get to the fourth one, and you look at it, and it actually looks like a normal, like, like a, a pocket large, watch. like a large pocket watch. And he won the prize. There was a lot of controversy with the prize, but ultimately, but I liked, I he liked won the, the prize. But I got to it right, and by that stage, I'd sort of, work, I'd read all of the things. I was listening to the thing in my ear, the audio. listening to about, yeah. and it was the fourth one. And I just thought, you know, he invested his whole life in trying to make it and then it, he got it to the stage where it worked and everyone throughout his whole life told him it wouldn't work doubted him you know he, other people were looking at other ways of doing it over a long period of time he had lots of competition you know there must have been times when you'd want to give up and, and I just thought that's amazing he's done it and he was successful at the end and as I thought that my eyes a little tear they filled with Filled with warm tears. Yeah. And I was like, I was kind of, I was totally surprised. I was like, why am I, why am I crying? Right. Do you, don't think, do you think this is how normal, normal people that aren't scientists and are moved by things like, you know, puppies and, and, uh, and maybe, children feel? Well, I get moved by those things as well. Like yeah. a good example of that is the end of Babe the Sheep Pig. <laughs> When the farmer said that, <laughs> that'll do pig. I think it's probably the similar thing as the... <laughs> it's like the same thing. Everyone doubted that pig. They didn't think the pig could do it. And at the end... You showed them the all. The pig... Did you see what the pig did? The pig showed them. So, Babe the Sheep Pig is John Harrison. I think we've learned something here today. <laughs> Nick. Oh. Hello. Oh, hello, Steve. Um, you know scientific uh, words? Um, like, yeah. Pick, pick, give me one. Throw Scienti- a word out. Sciencey words? Yeah. Um, Drosophila melanogaster. That's good. Um, so you, you like that one? Yeah, it's good. Well, uh, another well, one? Give, give me, yeah, give me... Um, uh, Sinurabditis elegans. No, stop telling... Stop giving me <laughs> uh, actual uh, <laughs> organisms. Give me, some, uh, give me uh, uh, something else. Microscope. Microscope would do. Um... So, like, there must be the first time in history at some point no one knew what a microscope was, right? And you had to, someone had to define the word microscope. Yeah. Like, I mean, things you, like, new things, like the internet. Yeah, indeed. But I quite I mean, like I'm saying the internet's a new thing. But that's <laughs> because I'm an old man with. <laughs> that was the newest thing you could think of, was the internet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, so, so I, you know, I work in my lab, I, we work a lot with fluorescence. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, so I was really interested in, like, the first time that someone wrote down the word fluorescence, right? I think I know. Do I know about this? Mm, I don't know, maybe. It wasn't anything to do with the chap called Stokes, was it? George Gabriel Stokes, Tell yeah. me about him. I think so, I know this story. Really? Have you but I'm, it's a really good one. Well, you don't know what I'm going to say. Oh, go on then. Um, so, so I think it's really interesting. So, so you can go back and find these things in the literature, right? Because at some point they must have been said for the first time. And actually scientists are quite good at documenting these Oh, so things. you're kind of interested in scientific etymology. Indeed, indeed, yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah. The meaning of words. So this isn't about... So George Gabriel Stokes was a professor in Cambridge. Uh, uh, um, and a holder he, of the Lucassian chair, I believe. Indeed, that's right. Currently still held by Stephen Hawking? No, it's be, he's, he's retired now. Oh, is it? I okay. don't know who it is now. I should, oh. That's totally something it's I should like know. It's not like one of them, like, de Sotoy or someone. No, 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 no he's in Oxford. Oh, right. Um... Uh, he's yeah. He's, anyway, um, so 
so fluorescence and I was, I was, I was looking at it and um, I found the first, so what I really like is when you go back and look in the old literature, it's also always stories of like, they're just old white men sat in a room like thinking or just doing yeah, experiments yeah. That they can do on their windowsill. So I was sitting at my fireplace one day and I was exactly. drinking a glass of port and it occurred to me there's a sheen of iridescence coming from the surface yeah. of the port and, and this is actually him writing it and getting it published in Nature. Exactly, he's not, just, he's not just rambling like a uh, bunch of idiots and like we and do. And then we noticed, I pulled it into another companion and my pet cat, um, Stevenson, um, lapped it up and it was, uh, it was very... Uh, uh, interesting observation that was made, and uh, they go on like that, and there's kind of no point to it. Yeah. It's just speculating. So I, f so I tracked it down. The first time fluorescence was ever used, because we use it in my lab the whole time, and so I yeah, think yeah. it's like really important. So it's in 1852 in yeah. a uh, in the um, Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society, which Did you, you spoke about. Did you look at the paper? Before. I've got it right here. Sweet. Right, right in front of me here. Oh, right. I think I know. So, this is so I do know. I'm not going to tell me about it. I think I know a bit about this because. I wrote about it in my PhD thesis. Oh, really? And I ah. cited the paper. From 1852? I think so, yeah. Oh, that's cool. I might not have um, done, actually. I might have cited some other chap so writing about it. So he uh, he discovered... So for anyone who doesn't know fluorescence, is if you ever see those... Um, if you shine... Basically, this, the, the, the phenomenon of fluorescence is quite simple. It's if you shine light of one colour onto a material, and if it fluoresces, uh, it, it emits a colour... And the, the, the wavelength of that color um, of that light that comes out is uh, red shifted. So it's, so it's, it's short, smaller in energy. Than yeah, the, so than basically blue is the short wavelength, green is longer, and then red is... So if you look at a rainbow, yeah. it goes from short to long, from the blue, the violet, to the red. Exactly. So, so if you shine violet light on something that fluoresces green light or red light can come out. That's, yeah, that's yeah. all that means. So it's <coughs> it sounds it's, quite complicated. It's kind of, it is, and it's like, because I, I also use fluorescence quite a lot, but it's not something that people come across in their everyday lives, really. No, Generally speaking. I think speaking. most people, they've, they've probably seen on the news, like when you know when the uh, scientific media incorrectly reports, they say like, you know, glow-in-the-dark mouse or yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. So glowing, gl things glowing in the dark is not fluorescence. It's a separate phenomenon called phosphorescence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the principle's the same. So people have probably seen that kind of green mouse, like that's that's a fluorescent yeah. mouse. Well, I've got a good example from everyday life from going to nightclubs, but I think you, I don't want to preempt you. Well, you're going to talk about quinine. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, well, that's where it was originally... Yeah, tell me about it. So, so George Gabriel Stokes was doing these experiments and he actually um, was looking... Um, as you said, in uh, looking at quinine sulfate, uh, which actually we still use in the lab now as, as a fluorescent material, it kind of glows with a kind of blue color. And, and as you said, if, if you've ever been into a nightclub and someone's got a kind of blue drink glowing, that's almost certainly a G&T because there's quinine in tonic water. Yeah, it's uh, from the bark of a tree and yeah. like an Indian tree. I forget the name of the tree, lignanium something or other, I can't right. remember. But yeah, that's where you yeah, so quinine. So quinine um, but anyway, so I've, 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 I've dug it out, right? So I wanted to read you the, uh, um, the, the passage. Um, it's been clipped, so I might have to make it up. Apologize. So, so he's so he's talking. Uh, he's he, he's in he's in his he's in his office. He's doing some experiments. He says, in those bodies, whether solid or liquid, which possess in a high power of internal dispersion, the color thence arising may be seen by a body to to ordinary daylight, looking at it such in a direction that the light does not enter the eye, and excluding transmitting light by placing black cloth or velvet behind it, or by some similar. Uh, and contrivance, right? So he's so basically. Jeez, I mean, I've, I don't know about other people, but <laughs> pe they wrote really long sentences back in those days. And by the time you get towards the end of the sentence, I've forgotten what the beginning of it was. So like, I couldn't understand what what so that was what all about. What he's doing is he's taking a bit of glass, 
right? And yeah. He's, put, he's, put, he's shining some light through it. Yeah. And he's covering it up such that you can't see the, the light that goes directly through. He's looking at the light that comes out at an angle. Oh, right. So he's, it's like 90 degrees. 90, well, it doesn't have to be, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah at an angle. Um, that's all he's done. Does he say what he used? Um, it, no, he doesn't. Do you know what he used? No, I don't. So I do. Do oh, I right. know? Yeah, go on then. Well, my, my take on the story was he was sitting in uh, his office. Um, I don't know where it was, Cambridge. And there's stained glass, there's stained glass which he used. And he observed the fact that the light was coming through the stained glass of one wavelength, shining on this quinine. Yeah. And then he had a glass of wine. Someone was drinking a glass of white wine. Yeah. And the white wine was used as a filter to kind of like so, so the light the, I don't know the blue light comes through the window right yeah. so blue's a short wavelength it goes in these glasses of gin and tonic or his quinine sulfate whatever yeah right and then in front of the quinine sulfate at kind of right angles he puts a glass of white wine okay and yeah. then he sees light coming through the glass so, of white wine so the wine's so a long pass the blue, filter exactly yeah, that's cool <laughs> So that's why. Does that mean I can I can charge white wine to my grants? <laughs> <laughs> well, you are the wine master. I, <laughs> <laughs> you are though. We've talked about that before. Yeah, that's true. So if you for people who haven't heard the earlier podcast, Steve is um he's a, in Cambridge and he's got like he's a, associated with a college, yeah. and it means that they get little tasks they have to do, and like rather than the tasks being like you've got to empty the bins <laughs> on Friday night, which would be the sort of task that I would have in my lab. Steve is like in charge of um, selecting the next batch of wines yeah, that the college choose to true. invest in. Yeah. Anyway, oh, it's a great story. No, 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 so I still get, I haven't got there yet. Right? Oh, so right, he hasn't right, said right, fluorescence right. yet. So, um, so, so, he's, so he's set up his experiment and he says, it has, it has speak of the colour, so exhibited as displayed by, by reflection. As however... Uh, appears to be so different from ordinary reflection, it seems uh, to continue, well, hold on a second, it, to use the term without qualification, and I, so, I thought a commonly a phenomenon dispersive reflection, so he defines his term. So he's, he's calling it, first of all, dif dispersive reflection. Dispersive, and there's an asterisk, there's a footnote. Oh, right, right. right? right yeah. so, so this is a footnote from 1852, yeah, at yeah. the bottom of the footnote he says, I confess, I do not like this term. <laughs> <laughs> Full stop. I am almost inclined to coin a word <laughs> and call the appearance from floor spa as analogous to the to the opalescence it is derived from the name of a mineral. I shall call this fluorescence. That's wicked. Isn't it awesome? That's brilliant. So the word fluorescence actually comes from floor spa, the mineral. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's fantastic. So, and, but it's I like it how it's so indignant. He's just kind of like, oh, f I d like it makes sense that I have to call it dispersive reflection. Yeah, I like that, man. And then he's, he's, he's acknowledging that he doesn't want to you know, be seen as someone who comes up with frivolous coinages. He's he's a sciencer. Yeah, but a lot of science they can't. You know, it's the drop of a hat they come up with a new word. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like I've just well, he, did, he came up. Well, he came up with two. Right, he came up with two new words. What dispersive reflection and fluorescence? Yeah. Oh, good for him. I just like that. I confess. I do. Imagine <laughs> that writing that in a in a paper. <laughs> I uh, confess. <laughs> I confess. I do not like what I. I've just. He made it up and challenged it in his own paper. I think you should try and build that into one of the papers that you write, Steve. We should. <laughs> So, Steve, this is a. Uh, I've got an idea for a new little segment. A new segment? Oh, that's exciting. Do you know what it's called? What do we call it? I think it's called History Corner. History Corner? We're going to have to get a jingle for that.
sitting at the inn at Jazzy Game of Thrones, but still I have some fun finishing my telephone. <laughs> Right, so I was, th- I, was, I was thumbing through uh, an old edition of Nature. As you do. Well, I wasn't actually, because a kind man has already done it for me. And he's a guy called Walter Gratzer, who's actually um, at King's College London. Right. Yeah. So Walter Gratzer, he's a historian, he, he's a scientist, but he, he publishes some amazing books. And so, one of the so Nick's got a book in front of him there, so which is a collection of, of this is a collection of... Uh, uh, ep- editions of nature no it's called a bedside nature so he and his editors have sort of looked at copies of nature between 1869 and 1953 and sort of picked out interesting <sighs> stories i'm so jealous of that book oh it's full of really interesting oh, nuggets i want to tell you about, told me about that before. i want to tell you about toads and red hot charcoal toads and red hot charcoal oh, i was just looking through it and there's so much richness in this book but this one just oh, sorry i'm gonna have to do that again right toads and red hot charcoal. i didn't i let's let that go but that's interesting that's that deserved more enthusiasm what I, I didn't re- react as well as I should have done to what toads and red, red hot charcoal. Okay, this this little <laughs> thing is called toads and red hot charcoal. Wow, <laughs> is that better? <laughs> and there's a little so in the olden days, and we've alluded to this very briefly in previous podcasts. But the uh, the, the way that you wrote about and you did you wrote about science and the way that you did it was different. And when you wrote to record what you'd done to things like nature, it was more like a letter from yeah. like an enthusiast. So it might have been someone telling the world about his interesting collection of, I don't know, uh, spiders or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's one that I found and it made me it made me laugh a bit. It's quite interesting. It's toads and red hot charcoal, and it's from a chap called WNF Woodland. And when when's this in from? Maidenhead? This was in the year um, 1920. So this, is, so this is not a scientist. They're not affiliated with the university. Oh They're no, I don't know it's actually. Just, just a guy. I don't actually okay. know. It's difficult. All right. There's a lot of random stuff in there. A lot of these are uh, scientific things. But right, okay. This could be just some some interested amateur. Right, right, right. Well, he's, th- he's saying that he, 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 he says, first of all, that toads are associated with some wonderful myths. Right. My scepticism was naturally great. And his friend told him. Is um, that your maiden hand? Martin. Um, that toads would eat red hot charcoal. So there's obviously two... Um, Edwardian dudes so sitting around having a pool, much much like <laughs> you and I, but like eighty, a hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He right. says, he says well, my my friend, Mister Martin, I'm he assured me during a visit to Corn Porn in October of 1915, the toads would eat red hot charcoal. I'm imagining exactly the same situation of you and I sat across the table, but one of us is wearing a kind of top hat, the other one's got kind of elaborate facial hair. That's what I'm thinking. Absolutely. Okay, go so, on. So uh, red hot charcoal. So what he what he did was his mate said that they would eat red hot charcoal. Yeah. So to test it, he didn't believe him. No. They were having obviously like having a good a scientist. Glass of wine. Good scientist there. So they found Being a skeptical. load of they found a load of like red little chunks of charcoal, tiny little bits of charcoal, and they had some uh, some small toads. <laughs> I don't know where they got the toads from. Yeah. But basically, he threw some of the um, the bits of charcoal glowing red on the floor, and. Um, to my surprise, the glowing fragments were eagerly snapped up and swallowed. What's out? Wait. So, how many frogs has he got? Has he? Sorry, toads. Not specified. Not specified. Not specified. Oh, the materials and method sections all over the shop here. The toads appear to suffer no inconvenience, since not only did they not exhibit any signs of discomfort, but 
on the contrary. Several toads swallowed two or even three fragments in succession. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Do you know what his conclusion was? Can the you guess what the, the conclusion was? The frogs like charcoal. Yeah, but why? Um, I guess, my, so activated charcoal obviously is a very common uh, thing that we use in gas masks. We also use it if people are, uh, you need your stomach pumped or something. It, it kind of adsorbs a lot of kind of impurity. So my guess would be that they eat it as a way of kind of cleaning themselves or self-purging or something That's like that. a good hypothesis. And yeah. I could think of a way that you might be able to test that. Because you could do it no, not glowing. You could just do normal charcoal would work too. Well, you'd make, maybe make the animal feel a little bit ill and yeah. then see whether there was an increase in the rate. Yeah, of the charcoal eating. After they ate some but that's that's not what um, that's not his. That's conclusion. not what WNF Woodland thought about it. From woodland. Lockmead made It's good, isn't it? It's from a Woodland, <laughs> and he's doing experiments on toads. He thinks that it's the um, the toads mistook the luminous pieces of charcoal for glowworms or fireflies. Ah. The latter being luminous in the grounds of the agricultural college at Cornbourne in October. There's no there's no glowworms in Kent. There are really. You get glowworms in the UK, fireflies. I've really? seen them in Wales, yeah. I didn't know that. You see them, if you go out in the countryside, probably about this time of year, this is end of July at the moment, you have fireflies. Ah. Fireflies, glowworms. There's, there's different types, obviously, yeah, yeah, species. Yeah, 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 of course. You're probably more spectacular ones. I mean, I remember going to South Africa and seeing some incredible fireflies. Obviously, you know, it's uh, amazing. It's but anyway, he says, he says that, you know, he repeated the experiment in... <laughs> He's obviously a well-traveled traveled guy. Yeah. I, um, uh, I repeated the experiment at Alalabad in August 1916 with the same results. The toads even attempting to pick up glowing cigarette ends. Wow. Okay, so that, that, that puts my hypothesis out the window then. Well, no, that puts his hypothesis out the window as well because he says he's never observed glowworms or flyflies in Alalabad at any time of the year. So they've never, so, so they've never seen glowworms? So no. But they still want to eat. They still want to eat glowing charcoal yeah, and fags. You know what? Can I tell Sometimes you something I've to almost so eaten fags. So when, when, when I was when I was doing my postdoc uh, in Stanford, one of the guys there called Nick Conley. He was um he was a kind of half synthetic chemist, half physical chemist. And as part of his uh, PhD, he made a kind of synthetic analog of um, luciferin, which is the uh, uh, compound which is which is used in the in the bums of, uh, of fireflies to, to for generate chemiluminescence. But what he did is instead of putting a, so the, the, there's a, it's a heterocycle, it's a kind of ring-shaped compound that does this, um, he, which has a sulfur molecule in it. Uh, and he swapped that for a selenium version of that. So they had a selenium analog of luciferin. And uh, if you put that with luciferase, which is the, um, uh, the enzyme that makes it glow, uh, it glows, but it glows red instead of glowing yellow. Wow, that's Isn't it cool? cool? And so what we did, what he did when I was there, is they ordered a bunch of fireflies from some scientific provider like Charles River or something. It's cool, isn't it? You can just order. so so we got them, and then we, what we're going to do is we we so one one after one Friday afternoon experiment, we kind of like he kind of pinned down some fireflies and he injected his synthetic analog, or into the into the bum of a of a firefly to see if it would glow red instead of glowing. I green. hope he had some kind of like ethical. I think so. Yeah. Because um, uh, if it worked, they were, that was going to be the cover, right? You know, um, yeah. and it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least he did it. Well, there you go. That's where science from the history meets the science of today. Wow. Bunsen, Burner, Dolly, Machine, Internal, Combustion, Why Do We Need, Petri, Dishes, Oscar, Space, Isaac, Newton, 
Well, Bosch, there you go. Another one in the bag, Steve. Just nailed that. Another podcast. Um, yeah, just retire that one. Yeah, so um, that's it till the next time, folks. Yeah, hopefully you enjoyed it. Um, if you like it, uh, please uh, like, favourite, subscribe, all that social networking jazz. Uh, we're on SoundCloud uh, and also on Twitter. I'm Steve the Chemist and Nick's the Evans Lab. So say hello. Yeah, we'll tweet some stuff soon. Yeah, and uh, see you next time. See you next time, guys. Love you. Bye.